You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 375, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Brian Mariani. Today, we welcome the CTO of Bold Penguin, the operator of the largest commercial insurance exchange that it connects businesses, agents, and carriers to the right quote. We're joined with Frank LaMancha, and he is the CTO for Bold Penguin. He's been at the company for three years and has seen it transform from a small, scrappy startup to a large, scrappy startup. His background is in software engineering. He likes to call himself a recovering Java developer. At Bold Penguin, he runs product management, software engineering, cloud and site reliability engineering, information security, and internal IT. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thanks. Great to be here. I don't know if any of our listeners know, but I actually have the good pleasure of uh, having recruited for Bold Penguin since 2019. So it's been a great experience and you know we'll have lots to talk about here. And I'm really excited to have you on, Frank. And I'd love to kick it off by just kind of hearing a little bit more about, in your own words, how Bold Penguin has changed over the years. Brian, it's been really, really great working with you all at Mere Placement. And when we had the opportunity to make this podcast happen, I was just very excited because it's been a great partnership. Bold Penguin has changed quite a bit in just a very short amount of time. When I was brought into the organization in July of 2018, we were a team of about eight software engineers a very promising product, some big customers using the platform, but a very small team relative to the platform that we were trying to build. And if you can imagine, you know, the whole company was about 45 people and about eight engineers. There was a, a lot of processes missing, a lot of best practices that you know, just in terms of team dynamics that needed to be built upon and a lot needed to happen in, in terms to be able to scale. So in three years, we've invested heavily into our product as well as the product management. You know, just as a whole, we were able to bring in some really great designers in as well as some product managers to prepare for some future work. We've implemented what I consider a, a really top-notch interview process. We've built a system to quickly interview and onboard really talented engineers. From a company's perspective, we've grown to about 200 folks. Very, very hybrid. Many of our folks do not reside anywhere close to our main office in Columbus, Ohio. And just from a company standpoint, you know, we were recently acquired earlier this year in about January. We were acquired by American Family Insurance. And so just a lot of changes in three short years. I, I like to say that I look back at my time in Bold Penguin in six-month increments and every six months, it's always exciting to, to see the team and the organization grow. You touched on a little bit the interview process. And one thing that I spoke of in our kickoff episode with Brittany and I is that you guys have the best interview guide. And I mean that it's the best interview guide. It's, I I mean, you know, it's probably like a six page PDF with just tremendous instructions on what to expect. It's just crystal clear for the engineers. And hopefully that's a trend that others are going to follow through with as well. But you guys really were the first that I saw put one together just the way you did. And Yeah, we've had a lot of success together, I think, in sharing that and just kind of setting the expectations up front. So kudos to you guys, of course. Thank you so much for that, Brian. It it means a lot. Okay. And speaking of some past episodes, we made mention on the recent Stack Overflow episode that your CEO, Ilya Bodner, was on episode 338 entitled, Why Is It So Hard to Find Ruby Developers? Were there any side effects from that episode airing? It's kind of funny because we were just talking about it. I think one of the most interesting side effects is that some of the engineers who may have not had the ability to, to kind of speak or, or work around Ilya just because we've, we've grown so fast, 
Ilya earned himself a lot of credibility with the team. He was able to speak pretty articulately about Ruby. I just think that the shock that you know your CEO is showing up on a Stack Overflow podcast has still not faded away from some of the members of the team. I would say the most shocking thing is that you know, kind of internally, people are like, "Oh my goodness, Ilya knows what we're talking about here." Ilya gets it. I would say that was the biggest shock or the biggest surprise overall. I think it's always helpful for our listeners to kind of get a sense for like the technical abilities of some of the leaders that we have on the podcast. I'd love to hear a little bit more about yours and you know how technical you are. Sure. I consider myself extremely technical. I think that the days of engineering leaders not being able to be at least somewhat hands-on are over. I want to be, as a leader, I think one of my biggest strengths is being able to come across as credible and being able to know what I'm talking about. And while I don't write code on a day-to-day basis, I can and will, that's not a skill that I'm going to let go away. I continue to write code. I'm still the number one contributor in at least one of our repositories. And while Brian has done a very good job of bringing us really talented Ruby and Rails engineers, so luckily I don't need to write too much Ruby code, it doesn't mean that I can't. That's just kind of my view on it. And I think a lot of the team knows and appreciates that quite a bit. I was just joking with Brian before we started that my team loves when I write Ruby PRs because they like to try to spear me. And they crush me in my pull request, which is always a lot of fun. But yeah, so I would consider myself very technical and still pretty hands-on. Not as much these days as maybe I once was. But ultimately, if uh, you're invested in the success of an organization or a particular outcome, you'll do whatever role or do whatever you need to do to ensure success. And at times, that means rolling up the sleeves and getting to work. I couldn't agree with you more. And now that you've told us you're technical, I'm going to hold you to it, Frank. So let's dive. Yes. So let's dive further into your technical stack. We know very much that Bold Penguin uses Ruby, but what else are you building with? A lot of Ruby, mainly built on microservices. I think we have about eight different microservices running in our environment right now. Some of them are on the latest and greatest Rails version 6.1 or higher. All of them are at least running on version six. So we do a good job of keeping things up to date as much as possible. On the front end, we use Angular quite a bit, almost always on the latest versions, but we have a few stragglers. I would describe our architecture overall is very cloud native. So we build on Docker, you know, containers built very heavily on AWS. In fact, I would say that we use AWS as a very sensible default. So we use EC2 and Elastic Container Service, AWS. ELB for load balancers to distribute load. We use RDS and Aurora for our database and persistence tier. Generally speaking, we have invested very heavily in the AWS. From the CI perspective, we use GitHub and GitHub Actions quite a bit. They've done really a lot for us. We've invested very heavily in there and we continue to get a lot of value from there. In terms of what most engineers use, we have a uh, build your own axe policy which means that engineers can pick the laptop that best services their needs. So you'll see a lot of Mac, maybe one or two Windows machines, and then a few Linux machines running out there in the wild. But generally speaking, you know, we want to give people the tools that they need to be successful and then let them get at it. I love that. So I'm going to ask you a couple of what-if questions. You know, let, Let's pretend that we have a time machine, of course, built in Ruby. 
So if you had to do it all over again, would you have gone with Ruby in your stack? Yeah, of course. You know, for us, I like to think that we always pick the correct tool for the job. Ruby as a language is very flexible. I've always appreciated how testing was a first-class citizen in Ruby. And because of that, Ruby is a, a very good all-purpose language. Ruby has served us very well. Generally speaking, if we were to start over from, from scratch today, I would imagine we would investigate maybe some other languages for smaller pieces, just if it's a better tool for the job. But certainly Ruby would be a large part of that overall stack. So we're seeing a trend in our community where a lot of companies ended up going with the microservice architecture and are now collapsing back down into a, a monolith. And I'm curious, would you ever consider doing that? Or are you very committed to the microservice architecture? No, that is certainly an ongoing conversation. You know, for us, we kind of picked our microservice boundaries very early. And it's always one of those things looming in the back of your head. Did we, you know, put boundaries around this thing prematurely? Did we really understand the context in which these things are going to run for years to come before we did this? While we have not done that to date, that is definitely an ongoing conversation. That makes a lot of sense. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is leading edge application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With a developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, you can quickly pinpoint and resolve performance issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails let you rest easy knowing that Scout's on watch and resolving performance issues before your customers ever see them. Scout has also launched its new error monitoring feature add-on for Ruby applications. Now you can connect your error reporting and application monitoring data on one platform. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend and try their error monitoring and APM free for 14 days, no credit card required. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. Thanks as always to Scout for their continued support. I think that, you know, Ruby on Rails has this reputation that you can spin it up quickly, get a business onto it. You know, you can start a SaaS platform very quickly on Ruby on Rails. But in the end, you have to have some sort of IP or some sort of secret sauce and really to, you know, separate yourself from competitors. What would you say is the secret sauce of the technical stack of Bold Penguin? I would say it's two pieces. First, I just want to say that the industry that we're in is really not known for being innovative or really customer friendly. For a small business owner trying to get commercial insurance, studies have shown that it could take about 20 weeks just to get a quote. That is very far from the Amazon experience that most business owners and, and really modern day consumers are used to. And so I think perhaps our unique secret sauce is our culture of innovation and our culture of really trying to provide the best possible shopping experience for business owners. I think that take and that renewed vigor or BHAG or big hairy audacious goal of really reducing the time it takes to quote find is, is part of that secret sauce. We always look at things from the viewpoint of these small business owners are literally trying to get insurance to secure their livelihood. And we think it's kind of our role to make sure that shopping experience is simple, easy, 
and transparent for them. I would say the other thing that we've invested heavily into is just copious amounts of automation to really maximize the effectiveness of our engineering team. I think people are surprised at really the level of sophistications that we've put into our IT systems to really make sure that every engineer that we hire is really effective in really advancing our product roadmap. From our technology systems, you know, we typically choose boring but simple technologies that maybe aren't the latest and greatest on the cutting edge, but allow our teams to get up to speed quickly and efficiently so they can easily add value. You said something really interesting there that I want to dive into, because as we noted at the top of the show, your bio includes also internal IT. Does that include developer tool sets? Is the IT department really focused on making sure that engineering is as productive as possible? Tell me more about the automation that you've put in place. Our kind of rallying cry for our internal IT is providing the tools and technologies so that our people can do the best work. And sometimes that means developer tooling. Sometimes that means just enhancements in our ability to procure equipment and get it out to the people that need it. Sometimes that means being a little bit more proactive in meeting with other leaders in the companies to figure out what's going on and and what's going bad. I would say that our engineering team has definitely built some internal tooling that we use quite a bit. We actually have a CLI tool that we've written in Go to really help us to do a variety of administrative tasks. But yeah, I would say that the relationship between internal IT and, and engineering really kind of stops at equipment provisioning. Does Bold Penguin contribute to open source at all? That's a little bit of a sore subject. We do, and we have, and some of our people have contributed on their personal GitHub accounts. We are actively reworking our open source policy to kind of promote the fact that Bold Penguin employees are expected to contribute to open source if the time comes. We have had a few PRs to various open source repositories. I actually have one if you want to look that up. but. Yes, we have contributed, but I want to continue to invest in that just because modern software development is largely built upon open source contributions. It it only feels right to be a good uh, corporate citizen and, and pay it forward and contribute where necessary. It really is important. And you're right. It is very shocking to non-technical folks how much infrastructure and SaaS apps are built upon open source libraries. So I agree with you. It, it is an important initiative to take on. So Frank, I have to take advantage anytime I'm co-hosting with Brian, just because I am always so curious about recruiting processes at other companies. And the fact that you work with Brian now, I'm curious, how has it been working with Mirror Replacement? Mirror Replacement has been really good. You know, I've always been really impressed with Mirror's ability to provide us really top-notch candidates. One metric that we track pretty closely is the number of candidates submitted as opposed to the number of candidates that we extend an offer to. And really, you can almost think of it as a signal versus noise ratio. And Mir always seems to deliver really top-notch candidates. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I do know that Mir is certainly near the top in terms of agencies that we work with for that. Outside that, Brian has been great to work with. He mentioned that he's been working with us for, I believe, about two and a half years now. And he's been really good. It's been just a great overall relationship. So this one's aimed to you, Brian. If there was one word that would encapsulate a developer that you might locate for Bold Penguin specifically, what would that word be? I feel like 
it's got to be the right mix. I feel like with Bold Penguin, this, when we've had success, it's finding someone that is the right fit personality-wise, kind of culturally and technically. It's just one of those things. I don't know if there's one word, but it's one of those things that for me, I just kind of see it when I know it. And each client is so different. That's the thing. Like sometimes that mix is just very different for the Joe Smith company, let's say on this side of the table. And then for Bold Penguin, you just get a feel over time. Luckily, we've had a pretty good batting average, like Frank mentioned. But if I had to you know, turn that back a little bit toward uh, Bold Penguin, I, I got to give you guys a little props, Frank, because the one word that comes to mind about Bold Penguin for sure is communication. And that is so key. So almost like any developer that values good communication is going to do really well with Bold Penguin, in my opinion, because it shines through in every aspect of your company. And just the fact that you guys integrated me into your Slack and I have like immediate access to the whole recruiting team, to Frank himself, which most CTOs don't provide that. It's just awesome. And like we get answers quickly. People move through the process quickly. So anyone that really values good communication is a developer that I think would enjoy talking to Bull Penguin without a doubt. So I'm curious, Frank, it seems like you're continuously hiring, which makes sense because with a company that large and how much demand you have, I imagine you always have job recs open. How difficult is it for new developers to scale up in your current stack? The short answer is it's reasonably complicated to get scaled up. But that comes from the fact that commercial insurance itself is very uniquely complicated. The business domain is really tough to reason about. There's a lot of different pathways. It's very big. I think once you have the appropriate business context, then the rest of it kind of falls into place. Just to give you an idea, like our platform drives some of the world's largest commercial insurance operations. We power about 150,000 quoting experiences for small business owners all across the United States every single month. And to get to that level of scale, there's certainly quite a bit of complexity kind of baked in there. Generally speaking, we expect our engineers to be able to do minor story cards within the first 30 days and to be pretty self-sufficient after about six months, which it's hard to say if that's the norm or the standard, but that's just generally kind of what we've seen be successful. Now, are you having the developers learn about commercial insurance before they get into the code, or do you have it structured so they learn about commercial insurance from reading the code? No, we definitely have a very structured and rigorous onboarding process. It's our view that employee engagement really starts with the first touch point that we have with a candidate. And so, you know, Brian mentioned our interview guide to the Glacier before, but we feel really strongly that really healthy, engaged employees come from really healthy and transparent interactions very early on in the recruiting process. So the short answer, Brittany, is that the indoctrination into commercial insurance starts even before that in the interview process and kind of extends through onboarding and then, you know, kind of lastly into code. All new penguins have a two-week onboarding period, about a week where it's really heavy and then a second week of kind of meeting and greeting with various people across the team with a structured curriculum to make sure that people are building that business context early. That makes sense. And I really like the idea that you incorporate that into the interview process, because to me, it's important that a candidate cares about the actual business itself as well. And so you can almost have those subtle checkpoints to make sure that they've been paying attention to what they've learned. Certainly not a on-the-spot pop quiz because nobody enjoys that. 
No, I really like that you're doing that. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. I have been a Honey Badger user for the past seven years. When I start a new job, I no longer ask, do you use Honey Badger? It is instead, where's my Honey Badger login? What's Honey Badger, you ask? Well, when application errors happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and check-in monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform. Honey Badger sends you real-time alerts with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly find it, fix it, and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issue or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means that they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. Thanks to Honey Badger for supporting the show. Now, I'm curious with all the hiring that you're doing, how do you stretch that across the team? Do you have certain technical team members who are in charge of these interviews or do you try to shift in different team members to be able to, you know, increase that load across the team? Oh, certainly. Yeah. On our side, we've kind of got our team divided into two kind of interview segments. The first interview segment really focuses on about a 60 minute interview where you get to know not only Bold Penguin and you get to talk to a real engineer there and and see what the day to day is like, but really get to know the candidate as well. From memory, we have about 12 people in that crew. And it's really just round robin based on who's available to take it, current demands, et cetera, et cetera. The second half part of our interview process is a take-home code assessment. And the other team kind of focuses in on that segment. And once again, we've got about 10 to 12 people in that rotating crew. That allows us to continue to add more people into the interview mix such that we're always getting alternative perspectives on you know, hires and whatnot, and also make sure that we're not overloading people with interviews and we continue to move our product roadmap forward. That makes sense. I'm curious, what does engineering leadership currently look like at Bold Penguin? So we know that you're the CTO, but you know who's currently reporting to you? Do you have a lead architect? Do you have engineering managers? How's that grown over the years? Luckily for me, I have two very capable engineering directors that report to me. Each of them, roughly speaking, has about half the organization. Under these directors, there's six engineering managers. Each engineering manager has between three and six direct reports. That structure has taken us quite a while to to build and implement, but it's been really good for us. It just makes sure that every engineer kind of knows who they report to, where they get their priorities, and really... The engineering managers are tasked with ensuring that everybody knows what they're working on and how it rolls up into the big picture. On the cloud side, I also have a director there, and and the same goes for the product management side with varying flavors of of managers and, and kind of leads there. So short story is two directors, a variety of managers, and a variety of leads who take on day to day execution of big projects. Do you believe in skip levels? Do you do one on ones throughout the company? How does that work? Oh, absolutely. Luckily, until recently, it hasn't been entirely necessary just because, you know, I've been pretty involved in the day to day stuff. But absolutely, I'm a big believer in gimbal walks and just kind of talking to the people on the front lines, just asking questions and and really listening. I'm going to admit to you, Frank, I don't know what a gimbal walk is. 
Yeah, a gimbal walk is, I believe it comes from the Toyota production system, but a gimbal walk means you walk and you see for your own eyes how the work is done. At some point, not that I don't have full trust in my leadership, but at some point it just pays dividends to go see and how the actual work is done on the assembly line. So I believe what I understand was Toyota back in the day, they would even have their C-levels and BP of operations walk the assembly line and see things, see the inefficiencies, see the culture, see how people work together. And just from that, you have a greater depth of understanding of what's really going on. And I I think that's really important. So I'm going to have to ask, how do you pull that off in a remote first world? It's real easy. I pay attention to Slack and I'll randomly ping people and say, hey, can we rap about this for a few minutes? Or I will just go to one of my ENs and say, hey, I want to dive in and just understand this and just kind of be a fly on the wall. If anything, it being remote has been a little bit easier. I'm not limited by my geographic location or my ability to pop into a meeting room. I'm just limited into what meetings my directors and managers will let me into. I absolutely love that. And it's very clear then, Frank, how you've managed to stay technical, even though you took the management track and you're now a CTO. Because you're sure. still getting into the weeds once in a while. It might be selective, but it sounds like, you know, you have a good handle as to what's going on in the current code basis. Yeah, that's good. I would say that I don't need to be involved in it. I choose to be involved with it because I choose to be involved with it. I hope to gain the credibility for others to be able to be a more effective leader. All right. So take a deep breath, Frank, because I'm going to give you a spot where, you know, many listeners are listening who write Ruby day to day. And so if they're considering maybe applying to Bold Penguin, why should they? I would say for us, Bold Penguin is super interesting where we've gotten a lot of really good product traction. We have great customers. We have really good funding. And we're just at the spot where we're starting to figure out the next evolution of Bold Penguin. We're rapidly iterating on a product. I'm gonna just gonna hush my mouth there, but there's a lot of product development in track currently. And we're looking for ways to scale it and provide an even better experience for small business owners. There's 30 million small business owners in the United States. I believe 60% of the population works for a small business and it's a growing segment of the US economy. And quite simply, they're underserved and that it's not always easy for them to get the insurance coverage that they need. And so I think the next evolution of it is going to be a little bit more innovative. And we're going to try to build the Amazon-like model for commercial insurance. It's going to be really exciting, a lot of tough problems to solve. That does sound exciting and it sounds very mission-driven. So you heard that, listeners. If you are interested, you know to reach out to Brian. So Frank, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? It's interesting. I didn't know really how to respond that. I would say as long as startup companies and small companies are choosing to use Ruby and Rails, they'll continue to be a very vibrant community. I am very much looking forward to getting back on the conference tour. We've historically been sponsors for both Ruby and Rails Comp. I was at Ruby Comp, I believe the last time we had it in September of 2019. So I think it's going to continue to be the really inclusive, really positive thing that it's always been. How can listeners follow you? I would say you could follow me on LinkedIn. You probably can try to find me on Twitter, but I never post there. And just look for special announcements on Bold Penguin's website. One more thing, every now and then you can definitely find me 
in some open source Slack channels too. Fantastic. Well, Frank, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a total pleasure to have you hear a little bit more about Bold Penguin. You've really kind of enlightened the audience a little bit in a lot of different topics there. So we really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate it, Brian. It was a great time for me too. Thanks for having me. Cheers. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.